welcome to the Bathroom Chronicles. So this is my first episode without my co-host Peggy Romito, but you two, pinning you two down for the same date is a very big deal. And we have both been so excited to have you on, but she's in Rome, so we're making it happen anyways, just because I think this is going to be one of the most important podcasts that everybody listens to. So we have Dr. Candace Owens and Dr. Stuart Nunnally of Nunnally Freeman Owens. And just thank you so much for being here. I have done dental work with you this year. And I actually first heard about you from my friend Nadine that wrote the book on natural teeth care. And she flies from Canada every single year to go to your offices. So that wasn't a recommendation I took lightly. I think I introduced maybe 50 people to come see you guys before I ever came myself. <laughs> I have the best dentist. You need to go see. And I just didn't make the time for myself. But thank you for being here. Thank you for yeah. having us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're yeah. so glad to be here. Yeah. So one thing that I really want to talk about is we did cavitations on me. And I posted about this on Instagram. And there were so many questions uh, so many people don't even know what a cavitation is. So can you start by telling us what a cavitation is? Sure. So uh, a cavitation is an area in a bone, usually in the jaw bones, where you develop a stagnant area. Um, it's not all that uncommon in other bones, actually. The patella, the knee cap, is uh, another common place, and the hip is a common place. And Usually there's a, a trauma associated with the bone before the cavitation develops. Um, in dentistry, it's oftentimes from an extraction. Mm. And so the technique over the years has been for the dentist to use anesthetic, of course, to numb the area and remove the tooth. But many times the dentists use, I think, an anesthetic that has an overwhelming amount of what's called epinephrine in it. Epinephrine helps slow the blood flow, so you don't have to contend with as much blood when you remove the tooth. But consequently, you don't get a robust blood flow into the area after the tooth is removed. And then you can develop this area of bone that um, either becomes necrotic, which is dead, dead bone, uh, and so in the literature, many times this is called jawbone osteonecrosis, bone death. Or you can just develop a stagnant area, and the body doesn't like stagnant areas. Anytime you have a stagnant area in the body, it's more prone to disease. Um, it's a, it's the, the best analogy, I think, is, is if you have a, a stream flowing, it'll usually be pretty and clean. But off to the side where you have these little eddies, they fill up with the cups and the debris and the trash. And so it is with stagnant areas in the body. And so um, over the years, actually these have been written about for over 100 years. And um, for the most part, they've been ignored by the dental community. Even though some of the brightest minds in all of dentistry have acknowledged and written about and told recommended treatment for this they still remain basically ignored and for years dentists including us were somewhat chastised for even acknowledging or treating these issues 
So that's what it is. It's basically a stagnant area that needs to be cleaned out. Yeah, so... When I talked about them, uh, there was a few people that had problems with me talking about them as well, as if, how, how dare I? This is a hoax. And so um, that's why I have you on here, because you guys are very qualified. Can you tell everybody a little bit about your qualifications and what you do to be able to talk about a cavitation? Well, I'll, I'll start. Um We've been treating these areas for many years, uh, certainly over 20 years. I didn't know what one was 25 years ago. And, um, but um, I was introduced to them because I got sick myself many years ago. I went to Montreal for treatment thinking that I had um, a neurological disease. We thought, we, we thought I had ALS. Oh, wow. And part of my treatment was having these cleaned out just to lower the overall toxic burden. Well, I thought it was rather intriguing how it was done. And as I recovered the next year, I shadowed the gentleman who did my treatment. And I came to see more and more as I got to see the patients afterwards how valuable the experience was. And then for me, it was also a very valuable experience. So I have that from firsthand. Yeah. But then um, I began to dive into the research and I could not believe that these things exist. I thought, surely God must heal these things up when we have a tooth removed. Well, it turns out just sometimes they don't heal. Yeah. And so um, as we looked at the research more and more, I, I said, well, we can't continue to practice without doing this procedure ourselves. And so we began to do that with the help of the gentleman who treated me in Montreal. And also there were other dentists in the world at that time. I would say there weren't more than 50, but there were other dentists who already knew about the, the powerful impact that these lesions could have on someone's systemic health. And so we began to collaborate with other uh, dentists around the world. And even a couple in Texas, believe it or not, there was a very enlightened periodontist in San Antonio who had sort of been doing these on the sly because he, he said, I, I can't believe that I fall into these holes and they need to be cleaned out. Yeah. And so that's what happened. And uh, so now we have a vast, um, we really have a vast stack of data to rely on scientifically. No one can dispute the issue anymore. Yeah. In fact, we just, I'm uh, a co-editor on uh, the, the new IAOMT position paper, which has 76 peer-reviewed papers supporting the identification and the treatment of these particular lesions. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're this is what we do, and so we rely completely on the data. We're not going to do these without having great data and without yeah. having great diagnostic tools to identify where these are. Yes, and you guys both do cavitation repairs, right? Yes, we yes, do. Okay. I was going to, if he didn't bring up that he was on the um, reviewing committee for that research, I was going to yeah. remind him that <laughs> that's always given me such a peace of mind that the IAOMT which is an organization of biological dentists. They've, I mean, they've been great efforts to make sure that um, great efforts to make sure that the research is available 
for other professionals and patients to see what type of impact uh, that osteonecrosis can have on the rest of the body. And then I've been fortunate to be right alongside him for 15 years. And so the things that I didn't learn in dental school, we were just shoulder to shoulder. I probably shadowed him doing cavitations for maybe four years before I felt like I really had a feel for his technique. And um, then I've just been so grateful for the improvements and diagnosis too, Mm. that we've been able to benefit from. We were having to do a lot of visual diagnosis early on. And now with cone beam CT, it's, um, it's incredible what we can see in the bone and around root canal treated teeth. So can you talk more about that? How sure. you're actually identifying a cavitation? Cause I think a lot of dentists don't even have the technology to be able to do so. So what's the machine you use and can you explain how that sure. works? Um, whenever we have a new patient come in, We rely heavily on three-dimensional imaging, not just 2D. So when you go to the dentist and you bite down on the little tab and you have the x-rays that shoot in between your teeth to diagnose decay, that's beneficial. But with a cone beam CT, it's the image that, you know, goes around the head, then we just get such an amazing density of information and detail that you, you couldn't see in any other way. So it, I'd say it's key to the diagnosis of everything, you know, that we're doing for the patients in terms of finding hidden sources of infection. It's come up, you know, to another level of, uh, understanding because we have another software program now that we can use to get numeric readings of bone density. And, um, it's, it's been quite beneficial. Mm -hmm. Would you like to add? Really has. Um, even within the last two or three years, We've had we've had CBCTs in our office, cone beam CBCTs for probably ten or twelve years, but new softwares are always um, yeah, well, they're just coming up better and better in terms of diagnostics, and so now we are able to correlate using two different softwares to make sure that we are confident that we have. A lesion because they're not that easy to see all the time and sometimes even a little a very small lesion can have the same toxicity as one the size of an acorn so wow. um, yeah when we we've submitted the contents of thousands of these now for dna analysis we've never had one come back that wasn't didn't have a high degree of toxicity but even some of the smallest and most difficult to see have had a high degree of toxicity Wow. I will say that I've been monitoring how I feel before and after. So I had three cavitations remediated. And aside from having six kids and being tired in that way, I'm finding myself with more energy. And I I would have this rash that would come on my skin sometimes. And I'm just finding that, you know, if I had just one drink or anything, it would appear and that that's not happening. So it's really interesting. So we're to contributing me. to your delinquency now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, uh, no, I'm not, you know what? I actually don't think I want to drink anymore. I'm not really that into it. <laughs> I feel you. It's just not worth it the next day. You know, I'm yeah, getting older exactly. and I feel it. <laughs> maybe a glass of wine, but, um, yeah, no, I definitely feel a difference. And I've had a lot of friends have monumental impacts, some way more, 
um, noteworthy than the ones I'm experiencing, but mine is happening through my energy. I just feel better and I, I, I know it. Um, well, that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Even in my time in Montreal, when I was there being treated and still thinking at the time that I had ALS, by the time I left Montreal, which was 10 days after my procedure, I, I had significant more energy. And I thought, you know, is this just a psychological issue yeah. or is this actually happening? Physiological issue. Well, it was physiological. It, it was sustained. It wasn't something yeah. that that was fleeting. No, it was sustained. And it was a it was a contributor, a toxic burden. And and that's um, you know, that. That is something that absolutely uh, will deplete your energy because your immune system is wound up 24-7 trying to tend to that when it could be doing other things. Yeah. Well, this is just, I, I, I so much appreciate this because as a society, one of the things we do is we get our wisdom teeth removed, generally speaking. And so to think about how many of us have had our wisdom teeth removed, most people that I know they go to check if they have cavitations, have at least one. So that's huge. So, you know, and to think that I personally had that infection for like 20 years mm -hmm. is wild. Mm -hmm. Now, can you share just for uh, the dental community how you see the future of dentistry? I know you went on the root cause. You talked a little bit on that, which... I haven't seen it yet. I just go straight to the source. So, but I heard it's incredible and I need to watch it. It's a, it's a documentary that you made an appearance on. Can you talk a little bit about how that, and uh, maybe a lot of people were doing it on the sly, but you're not doing this on the sly. You've actually educated a lot of people in this manner. And I'm so grateful for that. So how do you see that impacting the future of dentistry are they starting to share this in dental schools now? And do you think more dentists are getting curious and starting to explore this in their own practice? They are. And it's being pushed primarily by lay people. Yeah. Because the lay people hear it. They're concerned about it. And they go ask their dentist who knows nothing about it. And then that causes him to do the research, which is exactly what we want. And um, I would say... 20 years ago when I was in IAOMT and probably 15 years ago when Candace joined, um, you know, there were, there were just two or 300 of us dentists around the world who were even familiar with this. But now the organization has 1,600 people worldwide. Wow. Many of whom have been driven to that organization by patients asking, well, what about a cavitation? And they don't know any more about it than I did 25 years ago. And so uh, that particular organization has been at the forefront of, uh, of educating the profession. But there are others, too. There are other places that are doing the same thing. And so more and more, word gets around. You know, it took a long time for surgeons to start washing their hands and putting on gloves before they would go from one surgery to another. Mm -hmm. and uh, But now, and, and, and this is a really big ship to turn, because one of the things it does, it makes us acknowledge that, well, maybe we haven't been doing those extractions right in the first place, and maybe we should just change our technique a little bit and not use so much epinephrine next time. So there's some things that we 
we never want to um, acknowledge that we may have been doing something not quite right. Well, you know, as a society, it's really interesting. Dare a politician say they changed their mind. But there's so much power in mm. acknowledging, oh, I've had the veil lifted a little bit. I've had yeah. a bit of an awakening. I'd like to do something differently. So mm -hmm. to all of the dentists out there or all of the people out there that are allowing themselves to be curious and feel into if something's right for them, like I applaud you for your ability to change your mind and to maybe recognize that uh, you are being shown a potential path for healing. Well, I, especially for Candace. Um, see, for me, I got sick. Yeah. Had the procedure done, so it was a, it was an easy buy-in. Yeah. But here, Candace, you know, she had to trust me, and um, I really appreciate that because um, we're trained, we're trained in a very specific way. Most of it's good, but not all of it is, and it's hard for us to think outside the box. But she did, and I'm so appreciative of that. Yeah. I was thinking about that in the car, you know, like when you, when you think about your journey and your career, just in life. Yeah. And I thought, my goodness, like that was, it was quite, like he says, a big ship to turn, to turn. You go to dental school and you invest all these years and <clears throat> you're learning. And then I don't know though, it just, you know, when something just kind of resonates inside and it, being kind of left brain, I found out a couple of weeks ago, I'm very left brained and, you know, wanting the, the research or the algorithm so simply stated many times he would just say, Hey, think about the root canal treated teeth you've taken out. Like, have you noticed there were cracks or, you know, dark colonies on it or that, that little bundle of infection there. And you're like, well, yeah. And then you just kind of go logically and you almost kind of have to step back macro, you know, looking at the whole profession or what you've learned instead of so micro and okay, I'm just going to save this tooth at all costs. And so it, I don't know, it just unfolded organically and it did appeal to my logic once I was willing, like you're saying to, okay, be a little uncomfortable with the fact that I'm having to challenge some things that I had spent many years learning in, in detail, just to pull back and look at that big picture. Yeah, and, and also just utilizing your equipment that you have now to back up this new discovery. Because you could see it. I saw myself in my own area where there's less density to mm -hmm. signify an infection. Exactly. Yeah. Can you share um, in your research, and uh, again, I, I hope everybody's sending this to their dental world with so much love, <laughs> Um, because I think so many people really do want to do their best. What, what exactly you see going wrong with a wisdom tooth removal and, or any sort of tooth removal and, um, how it can be done better. Sure. And, uh, because, and then we can talk separately about wisdom teeth removal in general. Well, in general, <clears throat> in general, too many wisdom teeth are removed. Okay. Period. Because, just as you said, um, sort of the M.O. over the years has been you go in and if you have wisdom teeth, the dentist many times would say, I don't think you can really keep those clean, so let's get them out. Well, um, you could be taught how to keep them clean and keep them. And it's, those teeth are there for a reason. 
that being said, many times those teeth are crowded. Over the years, and Weston Price was the first to acknowledge this, our, these, um, well, especially the traditional American diet has caused our whole skeletal frames to become yeah. smaller, especially our jaws have become smaller, and now it's difficult for us to accommodate all 32 teeth. They work better if you just accommodate 28, take the four wisdom teeth out. Because sometimes there truly is not enough room. They're impinging on the the next teeth, and they're going to jeopardize the health of those. So there are certainly many times when wisdom teeth need to be removed. There's just not enough room. But <clears throat> that doesn't excuse uh, the fact that too many people are told to have their wisdom teeth removed when they have plenty of room. Mm. And now they're um, left with the possibility of having a cavitated area. And you mentioned earlier, Kimberly, how, you know, how often do these, you had three out of four sites that were cavitated. You've practically everyone you know has had one site or more. And in visiting uh, last year with the leading researcher in the world on this topic, a gentleman, an oral pathologist by the name of Bucot, um, I asked him specifically, what, what percentage of extracted teeth, wisdom teeth in particular, end up cavitated? And at that point, he had a number of autopsy jaws uh, that he was studying. He said, well, it's interesting, interesting you should ask. He said, I've just examined um, 12 autopsy jaws, and in 40% of the sites, they were cavitated. Well, that's pretty good data. You know, it's uh, now he, over the years, I've felt like maybe there were more than that, maybe the, more than 40%, especially as we age, because they tend to grow and show up more as we age. But um, I think, generally speaking, probably 40% of extracted wisdom teeth end up cavitated. Wow. Mm hmm. That's a huge number. It's a huge number. That's a huge number, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to people's health. It is. Yeah. And what do you recommend when somebody does, because you have a whole process for cavitations. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this process. Is that a process, one, you would recommend to have people do when they get wisdom teeth removal? And... Um, can you share it? It's, it's the most beautiful process. I almost felt like I was going to the spa before I had this procedure. Mm -hmm. Should I talk about it? I think or you should. <laughs> <laughs> so the day before my procedure, I had a woman, uh, what was it called that she did on me? Acupressure. 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 She did acupressure. It was the most relaxing thing on my body. I was walked to this beautiful dimly lit room and she was just had the most lovely energy every single person in your office mm. is like that <laughs> like the smile the most warm and loving energy oh. you go in and it's like the music and the tea and coffee station it's just like whoa this is the most cool dentist office ever but then you go back and it's just this acupressure and it I went in and I was quite tense actually and um it helped me really calm my nervous system. Like I had a lot of things going on in life and it just calmed me right down. And I had a vitamin C. Um, well, that was the next day. So then I came in the next day for my procedure 
And then I had vitamin C drip while the procedure was happening. Let's definitely not forget the fact that you pray over people's bodies mm. as the medicine is coming in, which is mm. so beautiful. Mm. And then you go back and you get more acupressure and then you come back again and you get a checkup and you know, you just make sure everything went well. And I think now I have another vitamin C drip. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's two days of pampering and, uh, and deep, deep, deep healing. And I believe those things all make sure that you are having a lot of healing very rapidly so that you're not experiencing another infection. You're correct. Why don't oh, you take absolutely. it, Candace? Sure. So um, all of that that you talked about is every bit as important as what we do surgically, you know, and, and technically there. But when Dr. Nunley did your cavitations, he, he would have used um, no epinephrine. So um, to make sure there's plenty of blood flowing in that area. Yeah. And our goal is to not do any more damage, but just to give your body what it needs to heal that area where there's stagnant bone and necrosis. So he would go into that site and gently but skillfully clean it and then um, rinse with saline. And when appropriate, you know, we use ozone to disinfect where there could have been any pathogens hanging out in there. Yeah. But I think the really amazing thing that we use that works beautifully with the vitamin C is the platelet rich fibrin. And uh, so, yes. yeah, that's where it's at. You know, when I we forgot. were, when you were talking about what could be do, done differently when we, if you need to have your wisdom teeth taken out. So you have kids, I have kids. My desire would be if someone like Dr. Nunley couldn't take out the wisdom teeth, even if I worked with an oral surgeon that was really skilled, I would want my children to do what we do for so many, come over and have vitamin C in an IV form, have acupressure, you know, even if we can't see them before, right after they've had the procedure, but have ozone into those sites and platelet-rich fibrin plugs put in. Because then the way I imagine it, it's like we're controlling and, and guiding some of that healing, mm. having healing factors release there. There's not a big hole, you know, you've put mm. in, and I'll back up a little bit. So platelet-rich fibrin is where we would have drawn some of your blood after you were really chill and don't have to have your nervous system more stimulated by that. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't add anything to it. We just go take it and spin it in a centrifuge and it comes out into a gelatinous kind of a uh, little plug. You can see it on Instagram or online. If you want to check it out, just type in PRF. And so that it's amazing. You know, nothing's added to it. We're just biohacking and putting that right into that socket um, or into that cavitation. And so it starts to lay a scaffolding for um, fibroblasts and, you know, working in conjunction with the vitamin C to turn into healthy bone or generate healthy bone in that site. So if your if your kids have wisdom teeth taken out and we put the PRF in and you do the, the ozone and the vitamin C, you make sure they're nourished and that it's not a traumatizing experience, then they don't have to have the same outcome like we had, you know, in their healing. There's a term in the surgery world known as uh, preemptive analgesia. And that means you're trying to do, <clears throat> or perioperative analgesia, you're trying to do everything around the procedure so that the patient has no pain afterward or you minimize the pain. And the key to that is to get a patient into a parasympathetic state and get them out of a sympathetic state. And that's why we love 
to have an acupressurist do that gentle touch and just let your let your <clears throat> let your autonomic nervous system tip over into the parasympathetic state. And it's a wonderful state in which to heal. Yeah. Most of us go into a surgery amped up. In the case of having teeth removed, usually out in the country where we are, <laughs> people go in and, you know, have a tooth removed and then they drive 40 miles home down a bumpy road. And there's just all kinds of reasons why those don't heal well. Yeah. But if you keep someone still, not to mention praying over a patient and asking for the Lord just to soothe and to, um, to introduce his healing into this whole procedure. Um, all of those things are, just as Candace said, I think even more important than the whole procedure itself because you're allowing the body to heal. Yeah, it's interesting because I forgot about having my blood taken. And historically, I hate having my blood taken. And so I was. I was really dropped into the degree where I didn't even remember that that happened. I'm the same way. Yeah. It's like, talk about flood with stress hormones. Like, even if I have blood work done, I'm yeah. like, this is probably not accurate <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I'm the same way. I don't really like the yeah. being out of control. or um, And so it's it's amazing. I think that not, you know, kind of jumping ahead and not yeah. allowing the body to get into that fight or flight out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, we've all walked in an environment where you don't feel maybe as loved on, you know, or you yeah. feel like it, things are disjointed. And it's just not the case at our office. I mean, we're a big, we, we love each other and we, we strive every day to make sure that everything runs as smoothly as possible. Um, and I think that patients feel that when they walk in. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, Kimberly, it even, <laughs> it even, we talk about this all the time. It even starts honestly with the initial phone call. Mm-hmm. If you actually get a live person who seems to care about you, <laughs> how much different it's a gift is these that? days yeah. how much different is that from being channeled down a long list of of uh numbers and automations automations <laughs> and so we don't want that to ever happen well i really appreciate that because actually the mouth is a very personal space mm-hmm. it is you know it's you're letting somebody into your vulnerable energetic field mm-hmm. it's inside your body yes and so to feel like you're being treated humanely the whole way is really beautiful. And yeah, just thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm actually very curious about uh, you. What's going on? How long are you going to do this? <laughs> I get that you have a, a lot. You have a nonstop <laughs> roster of pe- people trying to see you. Mm. And you're talking about RV trips and things. Are you just like this insatiable appetite to learn more, do better, change the world? Or at some yes, point, he is. at some point, <laughs> are you balancing this with yourself? You've been doing this for so long. Well, only forty three years. So. <laughs> I'm forty one. <laughs> That's a while to me. Well, um, <clears throat> thank you. That's sweet of you. I I love doing what I do, um, not only because we attract some of the most interesting patients ever <laughs> from really all over the world, which makes it so much fun, 
but I get to work with Candace Owens, which is an absolute <laughs> dream to do that. Um, our other partner, uh, Lane Freeman, is a fabulous, fabulous lady. Um, and we have uh, we have two other men who work with us. Um, so we have a great, great team. Yeah. Why would I want to leave that? <laughs> I can't catch enough fish. You know, uh, no, um, it's interesting. And I do think um, I'm one of the quirky ones who loves education. I love to learn and I continue to learn. And so that's very stimulating to me. And if I get to come to work, then I get to share that, not only with my staff, but with my patients. So that's a joy. I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Wow. He's going for it. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And Hmm. have you guys, so I want to know a little bit about you guys, because I feel like we got so much medical out of the way. Um, Tell me about you and do you have a family and how long have you been here? Sure. No, I'd be glad to. I, I do. I have two little girls and they're eight and 11 and, um, you know, being a mom definitely yeah. informs your life's passion, you know, or your profession. And so um, I think it's been really interesting every state of, you know, whenever you're pregnant, you look at health and mm-hmm. oral health different. And then when you have a toddler and then now I have a preteen. <laughs> and so all these things have um, influenced what I'm interested in. I I agree with Stuart. I, I love the aspect. I feel like we never get tired as biological dentists of what we do because it's such a community of people that are lifelong learners and, um, you know, really into like why, you know, not afraid to ask. And so it's very stimulating. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel stagnant or um, it just always, it feels like the opportunities are endless, you know, yeah. to be able to learn more and so many different avenues with the interconnectivity of the mouth and the rest of the body. But I'm married um, to my college sweetheart. Um, Stuart's married to his high school or before high school, like childhood sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, live in the area and love it. I've been here for 15, practicing for 15 years with Stuart and Lane. And um, I did not <clears throat> grow up in a functional medicine type environment with any awareness to that. And it's just been the greatest gift and journey. It's, I think my children are healthier for it. I am too. I meet the most amazing patients that teach me things every single day. Mm -hmm. And then it just shifts my learning journey and the, what I become passionate about. So, Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a gift. It's become a lifestyle, you know, and I never imagined like I went to dental school because I felt like i would be good at being a dentist, but then it's shifted into this whole way of looking at things. So I, I, I am with you on yeah. being a parent. It really guides the trajectory of your interest and in what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I never thought about fluoride for myself, but I certainly thought about fluoride with my kids. Yes. You know, and just, you know, if they have any cavities or anything is going on, there's so much that it reveals to you. Like, do we have a good rhythm as a family? Mm-hmm. Are we tending to each child? Is Are they being properly observed? For me, I look at the, the teeth as such an energetic body. Mm. I did a really deep meditation and I found that the two front teeth represent the parents. And so if you go, for me, I, I, I learned through meditation and it 
it's just been really fascinating when my kids have teeth issues to go into a meditation and see what that reveals about adjustments that we need to make because mm. everything is a mm. sign. Mm. Everything is telling you something. Mm. And um, yeah, it's just so fascinating. Now, how, how about you? What are you doing for fun these days? Well, my favorite thing is to hang out with my wife. Mm. <clears throat> We've been married a long time, 46 years, and I did meet Rebecca when she was one and I was two. Our our no. mothers were dear friends. Wait, really? <laughs> known each other yeah. their whole lives. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, so, that's so sweet. sweet. <laughs> we weren't that fond of each other until we hit <laughs> high school. Honestly, not really a love story till then. No. <laughs> <laughs> sweet though. But um, so we we love to hang out. We love. Rebecca's an organic farmer. She is. She is. Wow. So I love to do anything she likes to do on the farm. And um, so we spend a lot of time on the farm. It curtails our travel because we, you know, she's at it. She said, no, we've got to sow this today and harvest this tomorrow. So I'm, I'm all in, whatever she wants to do. I love to do that. And then the best part of this phase of my life is I have three grandchildren very close by who I see almost every day. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. You work hard, play hard. Play hard, play real hard with those kiddos love to do that so that's those those two things consume most of my life you know i when i'm not doing that i love to be reading i've just finished a residency at, at usc of all things you did <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a three-year residency on oral facial pain and um it was a fabulous residency it's a little bit more traditionally based they stretched me a bit and i stretched mm -hmm. them a bit <laughs> way, way more pharmaceutically based but my my master's project was non-pharmaceutical approaches to neuropathic pain oh. how can we how can we deal with neuropathic pain in a non-pharmaceutical way so um that's and then that's a lot of, of what i want to do over the next 10 years is help coach people on how how you can deal with various pain syndromes without using pharmaceuticals. Wow. Have you gotten into the um, the facial exercises and things like that? I should say. Oh, yeah. James is deep in that right now. Well, but his face looks different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. actually changes the structure of your face. There's this mm -hmm. woman that people go to in L.A., Yes, they, they want to play a vampire or something. They go to her, they do face exercises. Yes. And they're doing way more than just looking great for a camera. It's actually restructuring, changes the way the brain functions, realigns the body, you sit up differently. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'm literally watching James' face change the way it looks. It's wild. You are preaching to the choir, especially this choir, because... <laughs> She's, I'm so Candace excited really you brought that up. <laughs> I did. Please I, share. So this goes along with the children informing, you know, what you become interested in professionally. I um, had patients bring in the breath book to me by Nestor. Mm. And so it was this guy's journey about how nasal breathing was not something he was doing. And he just went on this deep dive to start to study how all the things you're talking about are interrelated. The width of the dental arch mouth breathing, how that affects facial structure. So it's like one thing led to another. 
And I called our local orthodontist and I said, hey, I think I've kind of dropped the ball on my girls. They're eight and 11 because I kind of did the crunchy mom thing where you don't really take them, you know, that often for I know about the, the crunchy things. mom I thing. Won't, I won't elaborate because, <laughs> you know, but I, I was just observing them and making sure things look generally healthy. And um, it was like this whole path got illuminated to, oh my goodness, you know, maybe it's time for them to have some expansion of their arch. So she said, hey, call this myofunctional therapist. And I was like, okay, this is embarrassing. I'm a biological dentist. I don't know a lot about this. And one of my assistant's children was going through it. So I called her and she said, yeah, let's just set up some evaluations. And I sat in on both my daughter's evaluations and she was checking to see if they could nasal breathe and going all the way back to like how long they breastfed and did they have any habits. And it was just so fascinating. So she evaluates them and we determine that they need some palatal expansion and they need to be coached to close their mouths and better nasal breathe. So she starts educating me about lip and tongue ties. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I did not understand the, you know, the deep fascia connection and everything. <sighs> James preaching is- into the choir on the yes. lip and tongue tie. I'm telling all my friends, if you're having nursing issues whatsoever, first thing you do is take your child to a doctor that can tell you whether they have a palate issue, a lip, yes. like lip tongue ties, all of it. Just check everything. And Nine times out of 10, you know, and don't take that as statistic, but almost always there's a problem. So absolutely. I think what you're doing, I mean, that can have a lifelong impact Mm -hmm. on a child. Yeah. And so the myofunctional therapist told me, hey, Dr. Owens, there's nobody really in Austin that's doing adult lip and tongue tie releases. And the guy, you know, is Dr. Zaghi is in California he's having a course. I would love for you just to go and learn. And I was like, absolutely. I'm all in. So I went, it was amazing. He was talking about what you're talking about that so many babies now it's getting caught by lactation consultants and midwives that they have ties. And they think some of it has to do with methylation issues like MTHFR, you know, being so prevalent. Interesting. I have that and you may as well, but, um, tons of our patients do. And so that has to do with some of the growth and development of the fetus and more propensity for having a tongue tie or a lip tie. Yeah. And, um, if it's missed, cause we see primarily adults, but many of my adults have children or they have grandchildren. Yeah. And so in me doing their exam and, you know, just taking, I'm not an ENT, but taking a quick look to see, um, their septum, their sinuses, yeah. get a little glimpse of how they're aligned, you know, in yeah. the cone beam CT, I'll start asking them, do you feel like you have good nasal breathing? You know, are you aware? They're almost always aware. They're like, oh yeah. When I'm at like, I can only breathe out on one side or when I'm working out, I feel like I'm just not getting enough oxygen. And I, they, many of them have a really high priority goal of being a better nasal breather. Wow. So it, <clears throat> it's a big topic. I mean, we, um, have you seen anybody straighten their, their, their nose, like their septum? I know somebody that doesn't want to get the surgery. Yes. You have seen people do that with the facial exercises. So I will say that Absolutely. In children, it's fascinating. Dr. Zaghi showed many um, images where there were 
adults that had the surgery, you know, it would straighten yeah. out because the roof of the mouth, you yeah. know, is the floor of the nasal cavity. So when that gets expanded out, you see everything change. And wow. like you're talking about the cosmetic, like people having cheekbones now and eyes that are symmetrical and yeah. just, we do associate nasal breathing with facial beauty and health. That's so You know, if you think yeah. about yeah. mouth breathing, you're going to have like a deficient chin and a long face and the deep circles under your eyes. Yeah. So this is where I was like, oh, if moms could know this, this is, you know, amazing. Like when your baby is sleeping and they're tiny in Native American culture, they used to close the baby's mouth. Like when they had them on the papoose board, you know, and they were coaching that, you know, at birth, let's, let's get you nasal breathing from the beginning wow. and you can influence and it goes hand in hand with the Weston price information about mm. having a ancestral diet that's rich in fats and real food, having the babies chew instead of sucking through squeezy pouches all the time. Yeah. All of this can be greatly influenced when they're really little. So then you're not like a lot of us um, having to try to undo these bad habits. Um, and But that's what the myofunctional therapists do. And that's probably what James is, you know, learning how to do some of these facial exercises. They dovetail into what Dr. Nunley does because when he has somebody that's having trigger points or TMJ pain, he might notice, hmm, you know, they, they have a fascia tie or they are having some habits that are contributing to that problem. So it's all so interconnected. It's also mm-hmm. interconnected. It's just simply if you hold yourself a certain way, you could probably just start to get in touch with where these things are. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's so mm-hmm. much fast. I, I was sure I would have something wrong with the inside of my nose, and I shockingly didn't. Mm-hmm. But I've been a mouth breather, so I got the mouth tape. Yes, we have that at home. Yeah. yeah, I haven't really walked in and checked on my kids, though. I Even with all this knowledge that I've had, I'm just it. realizing right yeah. now I've never checked, checked my on them. children. Well, but we're so grateful they're asleep. Let's be real, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm well, like, oh, they went to bed. And so sneaking back in is a bit of a risk. They might be like, mom. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I actually do almost every night go in and just kind of oh, give them a kiss until they're beautiful. subconscious. I love them. Yes. But I just realized I'm just look. not looking yeah. for that. Yeah, look. So, um, you know, if they can't nasal breathe, you hit on that. Like yeah. you need to go and have an ENT assessment. They might have huge tonsils or adenoids. So there's that. But if you look at them or you can even have them just seal their mouth, do a little experiment and just kind of see are they comfortable nasal breathing for a couple mm. minutes? Cause you're going to see by their mannerisms. Like if they get a little squirmy yeah. then, Oh, okay. This might be a nasal problem, but <clears throat> if they can breathe through their, through their noses, then yeah, there's myofunctional therapists can train them as little as some will train a four-year-old. Um, yeah. They tell them lips together, um, tongue up, uh, lips together, healthy breathing through the nose. Yeah. And they just kind of go through these little exercises and, it's just got so many benefits. It it influences your oral microbiome. Mm-hmm. So your nitric oxide production is shifted, which has to do with your heart, your cardiovascular health. And then these little kids that are breathing through their mouth all the time, they're not using the natural filtering ability of their nose. So yeah. they're going to get sick more often. And so not to 
overplay it, but I truly believe some of these kids that have ADHD and um, one of my daughters was getting in trouble for moving a lot in class. I tell my patients about this all the time and she was having some disrupted sleep and the myofunctional therapist explained to me that when kids get tired, they start moving a lot to like, you know, stay awake. Interesting. They're stimulating themselves, like stay awake, stay awake. And she said, you know, if she's not the best sleeper and she's mouth breathing, these things could be interrelated. We put her in a palatal expander, expander conventional, and she started sleeping better. Interesting. She said it actually felt good. You know what is missing in the medical system? And it's interesting that we're talking about this and how everything's interrelated. There are a few things missing yes. in the medical system. But I have had a few experiences where I've ended up in the emergency room. And there is one doctor that stays. This is what's really working in an emergency room. Stands back and is creating a plan to orchestrate they don't do anything hands-on. They're just observing what's happening and they have a, a general knowledge of what everybody does and what they can do and they instruct. Mm -hmm. And so they're sort of like the conductor in yeah, an orchestra. And um, because everything is so interconnected, I think that this is like a really important thing to mm -hmm. welcome into the medical industry. And it feels like, somebody that understands because the medical industry is very much a band-aid. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that we're actually getting to what the root cause is mm -hmm. of something. And of course we can talk about how medical schools for the most part are paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. And it's mm -hmm. sort of like this wheel, it's a business wheel, but there are a lot of people out there that really, really deeply care about their patients. And, um, I just learned today about this one person that is helping a friend of mine uh, with cancer. And that is what this person does. They know all over the world people that heal energetically, the physical body, the nutrition, and they stand back they observe all the pieces and they consult with you on how to create a plan that's cohesive for everything. Because you may have you know, cancer in a certain part of the body because maybe your alignment is off and so you're not getting the right flow and the re right detoxing and the lymphatic system isn't working properly. And so it's just looking at the person as a whole and not needing to be a specialist in anything other than understanding what people's specialties are and what's needed as the whole and, and being the conductor right. of the healing orchestra. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, where's the school for that? Exactly. That's somebody start it, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, that's a rarity, is what that is. Yes, and so um, it, that requires that requires a general, a general with a big view, and they can't get right in the weeds. They have to stay out and be able to see. I like that. Yeah, well, it's somebody right now. It, it, you can do it if you're passion driven. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're 
a mega researcher and maybe you start at one point and you just watch people's stories unfold. But it's really beautiful that as a dentist, you're paying attention to these things and having these conversations with your patients. Because even just having conversations with you, you are able to set recommendations and flow for me with my children. And I'm just so grateful for recommendations and people that can help you know, expand your knowledge, expand your consciousness around what's happening, help take more veils off. Because, you know, I would have never thought that a wisdom tooth that I had years and years and years and years ago being extracted could have been the cause of some medical issues with me or my body just simply not working to the best of its ability. So it's just, you know, it's a grateful thing. Can we talk just a little bit about, it's a hot button topic, fluoride. Oh, yeah. We love to talk about fluoride. Fabulous, because I also love to talk about fluoride. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that as a child, I was given a lot of fluoride and my mom was doing the best thing she knew how, you know, that it was given to me with so much care and so much good intention. And um, one day my sister sent us all, you know, and I learned about fluoride a long time ago. My sister sent us out an article that Time Magazine's like, maybe it's not that great. And it's interesting how Time Magazine saying it would make it credible all of a sudden. (laughs) And maybe all the hours of research that I had done wasn't making it credible. But talk about it, either one of you. Oh yeah, no, definitely goes right back into the whole thing where, like you said, whenever you have children, you're like, well, this is how it was done for me. But, um, okay. Fluoride. Yeah. I, we, there's so many, there's so many issues with fluoride. Um, I think that personally, like yourself, I was given a lot topically and then we were getting it also systemically in the water. Yeah. So the first introduction I had was through the IAOMT being educated that, I had been a public health dentist before, so I've had to pray a lot for forgiveness about the level of fluoride that I applied to children in a varnish form. I just, I think it was excessive and um, potentially did more harm than good. So fluoride in the water is not something that is helpful in remineralizing teeth. And in my opinion, i I filter the fluoride out of my water in my home because I don't want my children bathing in it and I don't want to be ingesting it more of a concern for long bones, like the damage it can do there. And for myself, particularly having struggled with hypothyroidism, my thyroid, I don't want it uptaking fluoride ions instead of iodine and some of the other things I need to be optimally well. I also have always had a concern Uh, Even in dental school, they taught us to educate parents that if your child ate a full tube of fluoride, you better call poison control Mm. because it could kill them. So really? Yes. Fluoride toothpaste. Fluoride toothpaste. You can, if a child, they're only supposed to have a pea size amount on their toothbrush and then always spit it out. No swallowing of it. 
So kids eat toothpaste. I know and they eat a lot of toothpaste. They do. They totally do. And it's everywhere. You know, it's like they're not using a pea size amount. Like any mom knows it's like all over the place. And over the course of a month, they've definitely gone through that tube yes. of toothpaste. So that's so troubling. It's wow. like going back to the whole, just use your common sense. Like, okay, if a whole tube of this will result in a call to poison control, is this something that's worth the risk? So it was it was kind of hard to discern, to give recommendations sometimes before. Um, now we have toothpaste that has hydroxyapatite in it. And so that's really, I like to, I like to focus on that and tell you a little bit more about it. Um, every once in a while, when we had a child that, you know, the mom would say, oh my goodness, I swear we are eating a whole foods diet and we are cleaning this kid's teeth, but they're still having a lot of tooth decay. I would sometimes feel troubled by that. Like, oh, am I doing the wrong thing by not su still suggesting that they be fluoride free with this child? Now, I think after 15 years of practice, I understand that's a more complicated issue. That child probably has some gut problems, you know, yeah. some absorption issues. And I, many times, you know, they can be eating uh, a whole foods diet, but they're just not getting the nutrients they need to make their teeth strong. So water fluoridation, I think Stuart and I would both agree that it, it doesn't serve any purpose in terms of um, remineralizing teeth. Um, the beautiful thing is that with hydroxyapatite toothpaste at a 10% concentration, so it's like calcium and phosphorus, it remineralizes teeth safely at the same rate as fluoride. So our teeth were never fluoride deficient. Yeah. They needed the calcium uh, appetite to go in. I think it's like 97% of our enamel is made of that. So it's just so logical that if you, if your child ate a whole tube of hydroxyapatite toothpaste, they might have some gastric distress, but I don't think there's any type of warning on there that you'd have to call poison control. It can go right on there topically and make the teeth strong in a safe way and not affect the, the thyroid or the long bones or um, a Stuart could give you more information about, um, fluoride and lowering IQ. Um, and just, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it falls into the category of one of those things that is kind of, I think it's slowly phasing out, um, because of patient driven knowledge, Yeah, you know, like on Instagram now it's, there's going to be, if you just talk about teeth or holistic dentistry and your phone picks up, you're probably going to get an ad for some hydroxyapatite toothpaste. And then the moms start reading and it's like, wow, this is such a better option. Yeah. yeah. Dave, David's is that, that's uh -huh. one, right? Yeah. We use the watermelon for the kids and I use it. Yeah. And also I use a Nadine from Living Lab Libations. I use a lot of her stuff she as well. She has one as well. She, uh -huh. Hers is the triple mint enamelizer. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It is. It's yeah, wonderful. I use that as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How? Okay. IQ. Fluoride and IQ. What have we learned? You stay away from fluoride. <laughs> yes. If yeah. you want your children to have a high IQ, stay away from fluoride. Yeah. It's <clears throat> it impacts IQ um, in a big way. I mean, just a few point drop in IQ is significant and we don't want to do that the the problem with fluoride is that um, every cell in your body has iodine in it and fluoride will displace the iodine it's a potent toxin mm -hmm. and so we want to avoid it I 
even if you had some benefits in terms of preventing decay, which you don't from a systemic dose of fluoride like you get in water, like in the public water supply, you get no no protection whatsoever from decay um, via systemic um, application. Even if you did um, get a reduction in decay, it would never be worth the risk, in my opinion, for a lowered IQ, for uh, outcompeting for iodine in your thyroid. And I mean, we we have a we have a hypothyroidism epidemic. Virtually every patient I see has some impact on their thyroid, either hypo or hyper. And many times, in my opinion, it's been caused from iodine exposure. Fluoride. Uh, pardon me. Flu- fluoride, fluoride exposure. <laughs> Thank you. Is there are there studies on this that people can go read? Oh yes, there's, and a good place to go would be to go to the iaomt.org mm-hmm. website where there's a position paper. It stands for the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Mm. It's a very scientifically based group, and of course. Um, they've been maligned over the years because they've taken hard stands on fluoride, mercury, yeah. um, somewhat on root canal treatments, and, of course, a stance on cavitations. Thank you. That's really helpful. And um, one of the things, just like you said, where a patient shows up and a doctor gets curious and they learn and then they start doing more, I think, uh, it doesn't hurt for parents or people to go to their department of water and power and tell them they do not want fluoride in the water systems. I know there was decent amounts where I was in LA and, um, yeah, it's a worthwhile call. It is maybe every week. (laughs) (laughs) Along with, you know, what call I used to also make in LA that you don't even think about for your health is the parks, how much they are dumping on the grass. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's wild. So I learned so much about that. They actually typically have these trucks that are kind of decorated in kid friendly things come at maybe two o'clock in the morning and spray. Mm -hmm. And when I called for the spraying schedule, cause I was like, you know, I'm going to these parks a lot and I was having miscarriages and I, and to think that my kids are crawling on the grass and I'm running on the grass or every time you kick a soccer ball and they would not disclose the spray schedule, no matter how many times I called, it was like, we're not sure. We're not aware. Talk to this person, call this person. I'm like, I just want to know when you're spraying. So I'm not going the next day. I'll wait till rain or something. And it was like, but we just got to make these calls. I think you're right. Yeah, we do for the fluoride in the water and the spraying of our parks, all of it. So, okay, well, I think we have given people a lot to start with. And for anybody interested in booking an appointment, um, it's Nunnally Freeman Owens. And every single person there is incredible. So you're in good hands with everybody there. I've done my own personal research. I have talked to people that have gone to each of you. And um, yeah, so just thank you so much for what you do. I hope you click on the links below and start to dive in. Send this to your dentist if they have an open heart and, um, you know, they 
they're curious, um, they can go to the other website that you mentioned to get more information. And you know, it is a process. It's a process for moms. And, and we're asking people to go through a big process of saying, maybe we've done something here that wasn't in the best interest of the health of a body. And that's, um, that's a very tender place to be. So I just want to say to those of you still listening, thank you for coming to the end. And if you are sending this to somebody that you've always been trying to, you know, change their minds, make sure that it's with so much tender love and care because, you know, all of us moms just really want to do what's best and us dads. And, um, yeah, it's just so tender. And I thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for coming to the ranch and sitting in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's, 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 it's the favorite bathroom of my life. I've enjoyed this little bathroom no, more than any other. it's been such a great, awesome. <laughs> great time here. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. Mm-hmm.